If you've always wanted to know what it takes to be a commercial director, you need to check out commercialdirectingfilmschool.com. I'm signed up for the Filmmaker Bundle, which includes the Masterclass, the Online Shadow, and the Case Study Masterclass. It's got 100% five-star reviews, and it also includes a 30-minute call with the master himself, my friend Jordan Brady, who's directed more than 1,300 commercials for top brands. And right now, exclusively for my listeners, use the code BIGIDEA, one word, to get a whopping $100 off either the Masterclass or the Shadow Course. Again, the code BIGIDEA, one word, for $100 off. Go to CommercialDirectingFilmSchool.com and get started today. Welcome back to the podcast, Confessions of a Creative Director, the original podcast made by a creative director for creative directors, for aspiring creative directors, for creatives of all types looking to up their game. This is your podcast, and I am your host, Jaime Cabrera. We're celebrating our 50th episode of the podcast today, and boy, do we have an incredible guest to mark this special occasion Today, we're talking with the brilliant and super humble Greg Hahn, co-founder and chief creative officer of Mischief, which was recently ranked among the top three best agencies in the world by AdAge, the whole freaking world, people. Uh, he's pulling back the curtain to share some of the guiding principles and philosophies that make Mischief such a magical, mystical, and almost mythical shop. And we're also going to get a glimpse of Greg the Kid from Ohio, who dreamed of becoming a guitar-shredding god. So, without further ado, let's get into it with Greg Hahn. Greg Hahn, good morning. Good morning. Actually, afternoon. Afternoon for you. Yeah. You're, are you on West Coast, I take it? I am. I am. I'm in Long, in Long Beach. Long Beach. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm New York, opposite side. On the opposite coast. It's, it's great to have you on the show. And I kind of had a feeling, and I want to ask you about this, I'm wearing I'm wearing the shirt in honor of you. It's my Chelsea Guitars shirt, mm. and it just so happens it's got skulls on it, just like the <laughs> like just like like the shirt that you're that you're wearing. So I think oh the universe is telling us something that it, that it's going to be a great a great show. Well, also I texted you last night and asked you what you were wearing. <laughs> that too, but don't tell <laughs> don't give away the secrets of the show. Um, no, but you know what? I've always I've always I've always wondered this. You have a very rock and roll vibe about you. Were you were you ever in a band or anything like I that? Was. And I was. I love it. Really? All right. I was back in you know way back in like high school and college. I will tell you though, if you were to ask like the sixteen year old me what I was going to be, it was going to be like the next Eddie Van Halen. Really? And then, uh, I quickly learned that the world was pretty happy with the Eddie Van Halen already had <laughs> in the thousand copies album. I actually went to. Um, uh, the summer before I graduated college, I went to Hollywood. I lived in the pits of Hollywood and attended the Guitar Institute of Technology with, with, no with, a, bunch way. Of, with a bunch of shredders. Yeah. And I was like, uh, you know, my parents were kind of cool enough to let me go yeah. and get it out of my system because that's exactly what it did. It was just, this is like hair metal. You know, if you ever saw Decline of Western Civilization Part Two, I do recommend yeah. that movie. It was yeah. during that time. So it was like Sunset Strip was just bands up and down, hand out flyers like Guns N' Roses, Poison, they're all out there. And um, 
I went to study guitar. I was like, that's what I'm going to be. And then I'll never forget this. I um, had this one teacher there that was like the most amazing guitar player I, I've ever personally known. As good as anybody out there. I mean, this is a, a very, you know, it's a very well acclaimed school. So anybody yeah. taught there is amazing, right? Right. So I, I, I like if I could work five hours a day practicing and studying. Hopefully, I'd be like half as good as this guy was. So one night, I remember walking home from school with my guitar in my back. I cut through a parking lot in Hollywood. I saw him working the uh, the attendance station. I was like, yeah. "Shit, man! If that guy can't make it." I probably should try to find a plan B somewhere, but um, yeah, so that kind of was a good dose of reality. It's really hard to make it. Yeah, it is that. a hard business. I, I tried it myself too. I'm a songwriter and play, you know, sing and play guitar and stuff. Yeah. And I get, that's what brought me out to California and I gave it a shot and it, it is, it is a tough. Well, I, I know, I, I heard you talked about it. I know you're far more successful than I was. And I don't know about more, that. More I don't know guitars. about that. But, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to, um, have you been to Chelsea Guitars by the way? Haven't yeah, it's right outside the Chelsea Hotel, uh, or the Hotel Chelsea. I, I forget how you the the correct. I've uh, heard of it. I've heard of it. But it's really cool, tiny, tiny little place, and they have really great guitars. And the owners is a crack up, and uh, so that's oh, cool. cool. I always I I figured that maybe you had some kind of musical uh, uh, bent to you. So we'll have to talk more about that. Maybe maybe jam some time. Uh, I'd love yeah. to see love to see what kind of stuff you're into. But that that kind of leads in perfectly to what I wanted to. Uh, talk about a little bit. We're going to get to um, sort of the mischief way and, and and give people a sneak peek behind you know the curtain of of what makes you and the agency so successful. But I wanted to talk a little bit about you as sort of a human being, right? And and I love that you shared that story about your you know your uh, attempt to to become a, a rock and roll guitar god. Yeah. But what was Greg Hahn? I have two boys, twelve and fourteen. What was Greg Hahn like? At that around that age, can you tell us a little bit about the younger you? Yeah, I mean that was still a big part of my life. I was I was to very much into music, but I was always one of those kids. I I wasn't a jock. I didn't really fit into one group. I kind of I could pretty easily hang with any any clique, but I was never like the the jockey or the homecoming king, um, or the you know I sort of had my my foot in a lot of different worlds. Yeah, but um. Yeah, I mean, I had a pretty normal. I grew up in Ohio, very normal sort of uh, Midwestern. What you would see in the, you know, grew up in the '80s. What you would see in a sitcom or something like that. Yeah. And as soon as I graduated, um, I went to Ohio State, which had no advertising school at all to not yeah. prepare me to get a job in advertising. But as soon as I graduated, I just moved out to the West Coast. I spent a lot of time, and I moved to San Diego. I spent a lot of time in LA, most of my all of my adult life in LA, and then um, have been back and forth. I went to took five years, four years in Minneapolis to work at Fallon. Okay. And then, yeah. And then came back to LA and now I'm in New York. So I kind of bounced around, but grew up in Ohio. So, you know, growing up in Ohio, when did you start to, to think, obviously you were already thinking about music and stuff, but when did it, when did you start to think that you wanted to maybe go into this kind of business or was it, you know, something else yeah. about creativity that you were interested in? And like, what did you, since there wasn't an, an ad school there, what did you major in? Yeah. I've, I've always had a creative bent. I, I originally, before I got into music, I thought I was going to be an artist, like a, an illustrator, a cartoonist. So I spent a lot of time doing that too. Um, but I always wanted to do something creative. I, I don't have a, uh, mathematical mind or an analytical mind. It's so much like numbers go right over my head. 
So I, I knew it'd be somewhere in the liberal arts. So I went to Ohio State, liberal arts major. I studied, originally studied psychology, which I mm. love. I still do to this day, kind of yeah. have, a, have a fascination with it. And moved into journalism, which was like the closest thing they had to advertising at Ohio State. Yeah. Um, so I, gr- I graduated with a, a degree in journalism. Wow, that's that's really interesting. And and all those things probably coming into play, right, mm-hmm. in, in in your work in terms of yeah, like yeah. psychology, right, understanding the the consumer and and that uh, sort of thing, and probably the journalism. So you're you're more of a you came up more as a writer. I did. I ended up started. Yeah, I gravitate more towards writing. And like you said, a lot of it is psychology. A lot of what we do is psychology. I'm still kind of fascinated with behavioral economics and that kind of thing. So what, you know, how do you, how do you scratch that itch? I, I take it you're maybe a big reader, um, you listen yeah. to, to podcasts or exactly. how do you scratch that? Uh, yeah, read podcasts. I'm like a podcast junkie and also audiobooks because I've, I've just found them a, a much easier way to, to take in the information. You know, you can drive around and listen to it or walk around. New York City is great for just kind of walking around, learning shit, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, now nowadays, most days, are you working from home? Are you going commuting into an office or what's that situation like? Uh, we have an office in Brooklyn. We do two days kind of set and then the rest of the week you can do what you want. Most people, so, well, I guess it's kind of split. There's a lot of people that are young and they live in Brooklyn and they like to hang out at the office because maybe they have roommates or something like that. So it's a cool space to hang out. But I come in at least twice a week, sometimes more. And uh, I like it. I think it's it's. It, it seems to work out for my lifestyle that I can come and go as I please. I, I, I live probably seven minutes away from the office. So wow. it's pretty casual. You know, we, we like to think of it more as it's like a hangout space, but we do have conference rooms and some of the, uh, the other accurate, you know, things that you would need to run a business, but it's, it's, it's good. It's got a good vibe. There's probably about 60 people in New York, maybe. Yeah. We have I- people scattered throughout. And are there any plans for? I mean, you know, your your whole model is built on kind of this idea, right? You, it's it, you you kind of were created at the perfect time where it's like you're kind of shifting the model. You know, we can do things move very quickly over over mm-hmm. a Zoom call as opposed to flying and pitching and doing all that kind of stuff. But are there any plans to open uh, offices in other cities like uh, like L.A. Hint hint. Asking for <laughs> yeah, asking I know, for I know. Uh, one day I will go back to L.A. I think that would depend on where the business takes us. You know, yeah. we are flexible right now. There's no need for us to have an office anywhere other than just I really like warm weather. But yeah. so, not not enough business office or business reason to, to start an office. But if there was a client out there that demanded it or, you know, that just felt like it would be easier to work out there, then we would. We're um, a very, as the name No Fixed Address would imply, a flexible model. Yeah. I read I read something really interesting. I think you I think you posted it and you said that the biggest compliment that you've received about your agency was at your holiday party. And mm-hmm. I think that the the owner of the venue or the bar where you guys were having the party said, "Wow, it really seems like you guys really love each right. other and like hanging out with each other." Yeah. Uh, can you tell me about that. Yeah, that's funny you remember that because it did stick with me. It's like of all the things we've got, all the accolades we've gotten, it was actually a bartender at this place. And she's like, what do you, what do you guys do? She says to Kevin, and he's like, oh, we're an ad agency. And she's like, you all work together? And I'm like, yeah, we were in the same office. And she said, you know, we have a lot of office Christmas parties here. I've never seen people like each other that much. And I was like, that's great because, you know, it wasn't forced. It's not, it's very natural. We all just feel like we're on the same mission and just, you know, we hire people that 
uh, you know, open-minded and easy to get along with, but really super talented. Yeah. Well, congratulations to you because I think that's probably a testament to your leadership and just kind of your your way. You seem like a just kind of a, a very kind and uh, genuine, um, empathetic person. So I think that that probably says a lot about <laughs> you. I would I would imagine. I don't mean to embarrass you, but uh, I, I imagine that's you know you're you're the you're the leader of the of the group. So I think you probably set the tone for that. Well, thank you for that. First of all, um, you know we tried. I think I think everybody that that's there exudes that. So it's, you know, it's, it's not just me, obviously it couldn't, wouldn't just be me, but I do think the tone of the, the place is kind of that way. We, we, you know, we started with the mantra of what would you do if you're not afraid? And so there's an openness, there's a spirit of, of non-judgment there, which I like. Yeah, that's great. And that, and that kind of takes us into, um, that kind of takes us into what, what I wanted to talk about. When we were having kind of our, our discovery call, right, and thinking about, well, what can we talk about? Um, you started telling me about this these two different things, right? It's the, the, the mischief mindset and the mischief way. And so often, it, just in my own experience and just from what I've seen, a lot of agencies don't take the time to sit down and write out sort of what they stand for and what they mm -hmm. believe and what their guiding principles are. And when you started telling me about those, some of those, I was just like, this is, this is amazing. And, and I, you know, you were kind enough to send them to me and, and say that it was okay to, to talk about these before we, I ask you about some specific ones. How did this, how did this come to be? How did this, you know, how did it's they funny. come to life? It's funny. Cause we're going to, in June, June 1st, we're celebrating our third anniversary. And it, it just occurred to me and some of the other leaders that, you know, we're growing so so fast since we started with three people and three years ago and we, these things naturally have come about these ways and it's stuff we've spoken of but we never really wrote them down and it occurred to me that sooner or later there are going to be people here that we aren't going to be able to spend as much time with or they're not going to be able to naturally you know get the sense of who we are how we work all these things that are just intuitive to to the people at mischief right now yeah so we just wanted to have them down somewhere and put them in a place where everyone knows what what we stand for how we behave how how we work around here you know culture is basically the way we do things around here that's the definition of culture you know and that's that's what this is it's just a way of keeping us grounded and for the people who are new to help them understand what they're what they're joining yeah and i imagine obviously you know when people are they know you know somebody who's lucky enough to come work for you is going to know is going to know some of this stuff but mm -hmm. i think i think as you list them out it just becomes so tangible and so yeah. like i instantly understand why you guys have been so successful so i'm going to ask you a, a, about a few of these this is from this particular one is from the mischief mindset and it's number two and uh probably one of the more defining ones but it's the riskiest thing we can do it do is be ignorable what does what do you mean by that? Yeah, and we're not the only ones to say that, but I do think we 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 definitely live you it. Lived I it. Yeah, we, I hope we do. Um, yeah, because some people view risk as something that's going to put you in the limelight, and some people will hate it, and some people might love it. To me, that's not risk. To me, risk is doing something that nobody cares about. Indifference is the enemy is another one of ours. Yeah, and and that's just like you're spending a lot of money. If you're a brand or a client to put something in the world that nobody notices, that that to me is a really risky thing to do. To to do something that maybe some people might not like, but a lot of people love is um, is 
is I don't even see that as a risk. And, and so, you know, you've built a reputation of the of the agency, you, all of you, right? And like you said, it's not just you, but your whole team. And I imagine clients are coming to you because they know they want this type of work. Yeah. It ha- has there ever been or how would you handle a case where a client comes to you and once you present the work and it's maybe too risky for them and they don't want to do it? Well, what what would happen in that particular case? Because it doesn't sound like you're going to – it doesn't sound right. like you would say, well, let's just do the, the ignorable thing, right? Well, honestly, it has enough that – I can't even – pinpoint the time that's really happened just because we're very intentional about what we put out there and we when we agree to take on assignment or a client agrees to go with us we have a mutual agreement of what we what we do and what we stand for yeah and it's not like we're going to push buttons just for the sake of pushing buttons i mean we've done stuff for pfizer and some other things that aren't um you know shocking or anything but there's just a fresh way into it so i guess what we really strive for is interesting if they want to do something interesting then we're all for it. It doesn't have to be a certain kind of tone. But if the, if if it's a client that just doesn't want what we do, it's like we're not right for each other, and we we can almost tell that in the chemistry session. Yeah, so that's part of the that's part of the the, the process yeah. is a chemistry session yeah. with the client. I mean, I think one thing that's really helped us is from day one we wanted to start as a brand, so people kind of knew what they got when when they came to Mischief for what we stood for. So we one just separates us, and also like it it sort of. Uh, a self-filtering process where if you don't want that kind of work or if you if you aren't comfortable having those kind of things out there then um, we're probably not right for you right which kind of plays into the, the next one and and uh, which is what we say yes to shapes us what we say no to defines us yeah yeah we say no to a lot of things and that's because a you know it's just like it's not the right fit for us culturally or Maybe the conditions under which they want to, um, you know, engage us aren't right for us, and that that goes for a lot of pitches you know, and yeah. things like that. But and or we feel like it's not going to be right for our people, like it's going to overwork them and that kind of thing. So we do end up saying no to a lot, but that doesn't mean that we're snobby or anything. It's just it, right. it wouldn't be right for both parties. That's great. I read something. It was I think it was sort of like a written article where you talked about sort of your previous experiences in, in holding companies, right? And that the alpha male um, sort of vibe in the in the conference room. And I think you had a great phrase where it was like, you know, there's some folks that see themselves as the master of the universe in a, in a, in a conference room, right? And you, you mentioned like not being able to or not wanting to compete with that energy, right? And, and that kind of leads me to this one, which is kindness is not a weakness, do you feel like sometimes your kindness and your demeanor and your approach has been seen as kind of like a weakness or where does that, where does that come hmm. from? Yeah. I don't know if that's, that, that's just me. And and honestly, the, the holding companies I worked with or the, were pretty cool. Like it yeah. wasn't them, but I've been in meetings with, with, you know, that, that puts you in a certain kind of environment with other kind right. of people that aren't, aren't that cool. So it's not a slam on anybody else. No, 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 no. But, yeah, sure. but, but, um, I do think in this industry, kindness can be seen as a weakness when you get up to the sea levels, right? You, you sort of are expected to be like, you know, I, I think that's changed, like sort of hard driving, you know, type A personality or hard hard selling. And that's just not the way we, we roll. But um, it's not, you know, I just think also when, when going over the work with teams, with each other, you know, how we treat each other and 
you know, it's okay to talk about the work in a certain way, but you don't talk about people that way. Sure. You know, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just a, a way of handling yourself and in our office. So, I mean, you've had a long, you know, you've had a long career. You must have come up at, at certain points, you know, where you did have maybe some, uh, I've never been in this situation, but uh, you know, you read all the stories of, of really harsh criticism about work or, you know, really pushing, pushing creatives very hard. Is that, was that part of your experience or not really? Uh, no, by proxy. Cause when I first came to, went to BBDO, this was in early 2000s, David Lubars, who brought me in had just gotten there. And there's a lot of hangover from like the early Mad Men days when he first got there This was, and he turned the thing around. But there was a lot of stories in those hallways of like people getting pretty, pretty nasty with with creatives and each other. And, uh, you know, we always sought to change that. So I was close enough to to where that culturally was still kind of happening in places. But I, I think for the most part, no one's tolerating that anymore. I think we've all no. kind of grown out of it as an industry, hopefully, you know. Yeah, no, I, I hope so because it just it's I just don't think it produces at the end of the day, if we're thinking just about the work, it probably doesn't produce the best work. No, uh, if it produces yeah. a lot of resentment, probably more than anything. It's just like you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. You get more work out of love than, than you would out of fear. I agree. Uh, although there are some people who yeah. have, you know, have been on the show who said that there was an element of an element of that kind of environment that helped them in some way, hmm. but they have come to realize like in the long term, that's not the best way to get the work yeah. out of people. You know, it's, I, I also think it's just the way we are as people. We're driven internally. It's not like external. No one's going to be harder on me than me. You know, so yeah. I've got that. So my biggest fear in life has always been disappointing somebody. So like like I said, no one's going to be harder on me than me. So I don't need anybody to, to drive me or to berate, to berate me. And you find this with clients too. Like the ones that... You just can't wait to show them stuff and the one you'll go you'll go out of your way, you know, you you'll work way over time and try to make sure it's the best work possible because they appreciate it and they, they expect it and they want it. It's not because they're gonna yell at you if you don't do it or if they're gonna be pissed. It's it's more of this forward emotion versus, you know, trying to fight up against something. I love that. I love that visual of you being excited to 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 share ideas with uh, with a client because I think, you know, a lot of times it, it gets, you know, there's almost like a feeling of dread, right? Like, oh, they're mm -hmm. not going to like this. But it sounds like you're able to cultivate cultivate really great relationships with your clients yeah. where you have that excitement and you're like, yeah. oh my god, we I can't wait. We have to some get... fun. Our meetings are fun. Yeah. Tell me about tell me about tell me about a meeting like that. It's got well, it's kind of like you see you've seen the work we produce. Imagine what we didn't produce, you know? Right. And it's and it's usually for like good reasons but we we have some out there meetings and and clients appreciate that we come to things with a strategic approach so it's not like this would be fun just because it's cool it's always built on here's the strategy here's the thinking that got us here and here's the unexpected way we express that so you know that becomes fun it's not us trying to sell hard sell them it's just how can we surprise them with the way we brought this insight to life yeah, and I, I read a little bit where you said something about it's not about we're not selling ideas, we're just having conversations, right? And we're we're talking about ideas yeah. with our clients, and which, we eventually land on what we want to do. Yeah, which comes back to like the demeanor of the agency. We're not hard sell people. We're more just like we'll bring you in the process and the conversation, and um, talk things through. So it's not like ta da and right buy this or we're gonna jump. 
Right. And, and uh, paint a picture for me. When you, when you are presenting ideas, are, are, are you guys the type of agency that are doing, I don't know, I'm making shit up, but you know, where you're acting things out or you've made little, you know, you've made little prototypes of something or you're, you're, you're showing little artifacts and, and, or is it more, you know, we go wide before we go too deep on it. We show a lot of ideas. I mean, that's always been like a rule of advertising, never show too many ideas, but depending right. on the project, if, if it's, if it's a project and it's kind of like an activation, we show a lot of ideas. And then if it, once we lock in on a territory, we'll go blow it out. If it's a campaign, we'll go really deep for the next meeting. But we like to show, a, a, you know, a wide range of thinking, knowing that we can make each one great. We don't bring anything just in for numbers sake. Um, but yeah, it's usually pretty wide in the first the first run, and then we go um, deep. What we found with that, especially at the beginning when we were doing more project-based work, is they end up buying more than one thing. Like they fall in love with a couple and like, let's figure out a way to make this and this. So it's it's actually worked out pretty well for us in the beginning. That's very cool. Um, number nine, when in doubt, ask yourself, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And specifically, in, in your experience, what what is, you know, what causes the fear? Yeah, I mean, I think fear has been a big driver in the industry for a long time. And it's usually like, if I say the wrong thing in this meeting, you know, as a creative or someone, you know, then the client's going to get pissed at me. And then I'm going to be taken off the account. And then when the time comes, I have no billings. You know, it's just this cascade of fear that goes all the way down. It all stems from not being able to stand up for the work or showing a piece of work that might scare them. So if we just took that off the table and, there, and you ask yourself, what would you do if you weren't afraid? It's usually the right thing for the client and for the, the agency. But fear kind of stops us because the safe thing in our minds is to not do anything. So it's just a way of opening up the uh, the gate and and so you know this this practice I imagine comes um, you know comes during the ideation process. But then do you also sort of encourage in, in meetings, collaborative meetings with the client? You encourage your teams to say like, hey, if you don't know something, it's okay to say I don't know, or yeah. it's okay to like you know stand up for this idea. You're not going to get you know there's yeah. no there's no fear. That's yeah, that's the rule. I mean, it's obviously we trust people in in reason, but. I think that just taking fear off the table is always going to be result in the best relationship and the best work for the client. And what I found a lot of times, and people have said this to me coming in from different agencies, is like we would never show that to the client. And it's like then there's a zero percent chance they're going to buy it. So yeah, <laughs> right. So it's 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 kind of like don't. It's not that it's wrong. You're just afraid to show it to them, or you're afraid they they might react wrong. If they do, they do. It's that's that that's part of you know being in a relationship. So as you were coming up, right, and, and from, from what I've read, right, you didn't, you didn't know that this was going to happen, right, that, that the, the thing that happened with uh, BBDO and, and, and the pandemic and all that stuff. <laughs> so in your wildest dreams, did you ever think that you were going to have your own agency? No. And were you – okay. So there was never a point where you were like collecting things in your in your little in your pocket, and going like when I when I start my agency, I'm gonna you know this yeah. is the way it. You never had that. No, I always had in the back of my head of like what I thought an ideal kind of creative, um, no chocolate factory would be like. You know, yeah, you know, like the perfect place. And and it, it's kind of one of those things when your reality surpasses your 
dream. So <laughs> I'm glad I kind of didn't plan it out too much. But yes, it happened all very out of the blue, surprising for everyone. I think I think even BBDO was sort of taken back by the amount of cuts we had to do that at that yeah. time. And certainly came up really quick. So when it happened, I really had no plan. I had no chance to kind of overthink it. And I just kind of let things happen. It was, it was, it was a very good opportunity to start from a white piece of paper of just, okay, the world has suddenly changed. Everything has changed. The rule, new rules are being written right now. Let's be some of the people that are writing them. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, this one is for now we're moving into the mischief way. Mm-hmm. And I love this one because in my book, I talk about the, the no assholes rule. But you write, a culture is defined by the biggest asshole in the building. Be, be good to each other. Uh, yeah. How did that come about? From working in big agencies, you kind of see no matter how many great people there are, just one person can bring the whole place down. And I just have a aversion to cynics and people that are just negative. So I'm not saying be phony, but just be aware that you don't want to be the one person that's dragging the culture down. Yeah, because that that really is true, right? It is like the somebody else, you know, said it in a different way, which is the biggest asshole in in the agency is 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 the culture in a way, yeah. right? And so, you know, if you if you tolerate that and sometimes maybe maybe not in the in the creative um area, but maybe in in like a new business area or something like that, there are these people that they're they're rainmakers. But mm-hmm. they're but they're assholes, right? And yeah. it's kind of like eventually they're gonna they're gonna bring the the place down. So it's like yeah. you sacrifice, you know, your your biggest rainmaker for you know the overall culture of the of the agency. Yeah, it's interesting you brought that up because now that you mentioned, it, you're probably right. Like it's usually not in the creative department. <laughs> you know, maybe we're just like um, too sensitive or insecure to be like total asshole to other people. But it's probably not true. But but um, now that you mention it, it's usually in other departments, and um, so uh, I don't know what to do with that. But I'll keep my eye out for <laughs> <laughs> keep your eye out for any assholes. Um, I love this one too. Our clients are not our enemy; they are teammates, right? And and it's I don't know where where it came from or how it started. Yeah. Maybe it was in the maybe it was in the Mad Men era, right? Where there where there's this almost like a you know, almost like a contempt, right? Or like right. they don't know what they're they don't know what they're talking about, and there's kind of a it becomes a, a an us versus them kind of thing. How did you, you know, when did you first realize it, and how did you, you know, end up saying like that's not going to be the way we do things? Well, I think it comes back to like you're saying we're not salespeople. We're we're going to have a conversation with you, so it's not you know you you against us on different sides of the table. It's like we're all gathered around the same problem, and that's and we, we kind of once you understand that the client wants you to succeed and they want great stuff, then you kind of see things differently. It's not, you know, growing up, I've been in certain, in certain meetings where it felt like I just want to get this past them or get this through them <laughs> as yeah. a junior. I think that's kind of the way you think because it's, you know, you're so focused on getting your own work through now. It's like, what can we do? That's going to change things for them. You know? So you see them as, as, as your partners and your teammates and you both want the same thing. I think you get to some really interesting, good places together. Yeah, I do. I do think just the way the meeting dynamics are set up in some agencies, it's it's more of a us against them. Right. Now, you know, the people within your within your agency, you you can sort of um, 
you can guide and you can shape and you can you know uh, nurture right with with some of this thinking specifically the 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 idea about not being fearful but on the client side you're not with them day to day you don't obviously you don't know all their you know whatever they might be going through how do you instill that kind of fearless mentality in them or is it a function of that if you're if they're coming to you and they're probably not fear they're probably not fearful in the first place or does that make they're sense open. yeah yeah if they're coming to us they're probably open to something interesting right there's a reason they're coming to us and our best new business tool is the work that we're doing for other clients so if they see that like it appreciate the thinking behind it it's, again we're not here to shock people we're here to, to do something that's interesting so if if they appreciate that, they're usually open to our our way of thinking, and I th I think that's the benefit of having started from a clean slate paper is that we can define our brand the way we want to, and it yeah attracts like minded people. Now I, I've always I've always kind of found in in um, certain situations that you know it's very easy for people um, anybody really internally at an agency or even at the client to look at work that's been successful. And then say, well, why, you know, why can't we do that? Yeah. Like, why can't? And and the answer that I've kind of found is like, well, somebody had to say yes to yes. that, and that takes yeah. a lot of balls, and that takes a lot of you know fearlessness. So you know, if we can be fearless, we might be able to get that. Um, yeah. But how 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 can you? Uh, you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to persuade somebody if you know persuade's not the right word maybe. But how do you how do you? Um, you know, comfort somebody and say, this is, this is going to be okay. Come, come with us here. If they're fearful, like how do you sort of bring them along and, and try to ease their fears if they do well, have any? I think you talk them through and then understand that there are contingency plans. Like if you're worried about this blowing mm. up on social, here are the responses that we have. You know, we, we've done that quite a few times of like, wow. Yeah. Here, here are the responses that you have to this and understand, like you got to go in this together, knowing that some people aren't going to like it. Some people are going to love it. It's better than everybody feeling nothing, you know, that's just, it's just that mindset, but you do, you know, be smart about it, be responsible. And if it's not right, you shouldn't do it. You know, if it's, we don't right. you know, want to push anybody to the point of, you know, it's, it's not right or it's way uncomfortable for them. Yeah, no, that's good. I, 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 you know, that's a great, I mean, that's something that anybody can, can put into their plans now is, is to present contingencies if you're mm -hmm. if you're pitching something that might be might be a little scary is 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 you know maybe present some contingencies i love that that's going in the that's going in my <laughs> in my little tool toolbox um so this is uh one at the top here our process is simple what to say and how to say it yeah two, two steps. steps yeah that's it step one what to say step two how to say it i think what what people miss out on is how important step one is we spent a lot of time, most of our time on strategy and figuring out like an interesting insight or interesting thing to say and a very clear thing to say. And then once we lock in on that, step two is like, that's where you play. That's where you have fun and make sure it's the most interesting way to say it. But you really have to focus on, on you know, the, the what to say part first. I've, I've, I'll, I've found that throughout my career as a creative director is when you're looking at work and it's kind of like there's nothing there, you're trying to make something out of nothing that teams have brought to you. I think 99% of the time, it's not because the execution is just like, they don't know what they're trying to say, right? Mm. It's the strategy's not right or the um, it's not clear or simple enough. And it's leading to nowhere executionally because you haven't, you haven't done the first part. So 
if you had to say, right, with with a with a hundred percent being the total amount of time it takes to get to the the ideas, what percentage of that is spent on 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 part one? If you had to just venture a guess, seventy three. Seventy three percent. There you, you <laughs> ha- there you heard it, folks. Seventy three percent is the magic number. Yeah, uh, it's a, a a bit in jest, but it is a great majority. It's it's over right. it's over fifty. Yeah, for sure. Because our strategy sessions are very creative. Like our, we've always kind of said mischief is a um, creative shop. Yeah, our strategy shop disguised as a creative shop. So we we you know all the CDs and CDs are in like sort of the strategy sessions and and you know our planners are in creative sessions so it's very by the time we come out of that phase one we there's already ideas baked into it and it's already said in a way that's kind of like super interesting or something we can grab onto and then we just go off and explore that for a couple more you know days or however long we have yeah so it's I'm not probably, it's not like a, we hand off to one, so one department okay. to the other it's not yeah. it's not a it's not a definitive ha- handoff but is no. there is there does there does it start to kind of narrow down at a certain point to yeah. creative for a little bit and then back out? Oh yeah, out? for sure. For okay. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll start like the planners will go off and do some thinking and some research. They'll come to us with like rough territories. Then we'll just bat it out. We'll just like talk it, talk it through, come up with like two or three, maybe four areas. And then we, you know, show those to the client, you know, creatives are involved. Kevin, Bianca, my ECDs and myself are involved in all this. And then we show them to the client. We kind of, get them their heads around a couple things and then once we get to the, a good place there we will have known that we can execute off this because we've already thrown in some thought starters and then we'll take them to the, the creatives and they go off right then work with kevin bianca and i and then we quickly bring in planners and account people because we it used to be this line that you almost had to protect the work from planners and account people and we don't see it that way it's almost like how can they help us with this so again the if we're all focused on the same thing, which is how do we make the work better, uh, it it makes the process a lot easier. Yeah, and probably a lot a lot more a lot more fun, right? Because there's, yeah. it, it it's it, it sometimes gets a little bit weird when it starts to get a little secretive, right? And it's a little like yeah. people are hiding stuff from each other because they don't want you know they don't want unnecessary feedback or it starts it starts to get a little awkward. Yeah, you know, never once I've been thinking about this in the three years we've been in mischief. Has anyone? If I heard the phrase or you said the phrase, like that's not your lane. Yeah, Just people, we we kind of swim around the pool a lot in a good way, and people are very respectful. I think one of our other ones is like you're surrounded by really good people, <laughs> you know. So yeah, you know, be, respect that. Yeah, and 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 frankly, I mean, I I think I, I'd love to get your perspective. You you can't you really in some ways can't have lanes i guess you can have lanes in terms of like craft you know once you get to sort of the crafting phase right but anything before that there really shouldn't be any lanes because everything is so interconnected now right yeah yeah it it is like it's you know like a a dna strand kind of goes goes around you know the same kind of system but i you know i think that there's a there's a point it's not a, a pure you know democracy in a sense like someone's got to make the call sure. sooner or later right right so it gets a point but but there it's a very collaborative process to get to the point where okay now someone's going to make the call yeah and, yeah and, and it's kind of like i've always i've always thought of it as almost like uh 
You know, like you hear, you know, on some legal drama or something or somebody will say, we'll take that under advisement. It's that kind of, <laughs> in my mind, it's that kind of feeling where it's like, I'm going to take, I'm going to listen to everything that you said, uh, uh, like uh, respectfully and, and with, with real interest. And then at some point we got to decide, like, mm -hmm. I, that makes total sense to me. This, not so much. We can't go away from that. And then to your point, somebody has to make the decisions. Other just, other way, uh, if not, it just becomes sort of, as my old boss used to say, a dog's breakfast, right? It's just kind of yeah. like, well, yeah. just it has to have a point of view at some point, you know, and, and someone has to lead that. But, uh, you know, a lot of stoic principles are kind of embedded in these, these principles. Like one is that I've always kind of tried to keep in mind is like ego is the enemy. So yeah. if you're doing something just to defend your ego, not the work, then that's probably not the right thing to do. You, know, you just kind of have to put that aside. Because our natural defense when someone challenges us is to step back and go on the offense. And that sometimes they're right. So you have to kind of take a moment to listen to it. How do you, how have you personally been able to, um, when you were more on the receiving end of, of feedback, how have you been able to sort of extract yourself from the work? Does that just come with, with experience, with, with time? Or is there, you know, is there a way that a mindset that you kind of put yourself in when you're receiving feedback? Yeah, it's not a natural mindset. Like right. I said, the, the, the immediate response, the reflexive response is to defend it or get pissed. So you do have to just, it, it, it's a conscious thing you have to do is take a step back, listen, because no one's going to change your mind if they don't feel you've at least heard them, right? So you have to take a step back, listen, think, just ask yourself, what if they're right? And then uh, just yes. concern, you know, take a moment to consider that and then, then answer or then think about it or at least tell them, you want to think about it. You don't have to have that answer right away. What is it about 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 creatives? And I talk about this as well, where we feel like we have to have the answer right then and then, and be definitive and be like, mm -hmm. you know. And there's there's no shame. And if anything, uh, it's good to take a beat and say, let me let me get back to you. But what is it I, about that? I don't know. I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. I think there's something within me that like I like to button things up and move on. Like, I don't like to leave anything hanging too long. So if there's a problem out there, I want to address it and make it make it go away. But that's not always the right thing to do. So I think there's a bit of a bit of that. And again, it's just like defending. It comes from maybe a bit of defending or also just trying to make things right in the moment. What um, this one's really interesting to me and I can't quite I can't quite make it out. What does it what does it mean when you say ties go to the creative? Yeah, we are a creative shop and a lot of this is, can be subjective. So when you're having a, a difference of opinion that's purely based on subjective, like I don't like that or that's not funny, ties go to the creative. It's not necessarily the creative department, it's the work. Like if you're someone like, I don't know, I'm a little worried about that one, but I really like it, you know, there's this debate yeah. back and forth, then we we go with whatever's going to make the work better. Yeah, I, I I have a similar mentality where it's kind of like again going back to that idea of like, hey, I'm I'm going to take all the feedback in, but if it comes to you know if it comes to like a you know um, red or blue, that's gonna that's gonna be a creative decision. Yeah. Now, if somebody on the account side or the strategic side says, well, we can't do blue because you know some some reason that's valid then you know then you sort of address it but anything that kind of starts yeah. to creep into really pure creative it's got to be a, a yeah. creative call right right the former is not a, a um a tie that's if they have a valid reason i don't consider that a tie if it's just like well i don't like that one i don't, can't really tell you why but i do then the, 
the tides go to the creative. Uh, I love this one, it, and it's and it's crazy to me that I that I've never uh, heard this, and maybe because it's never been said, but I love it. Play the angels' advocate. Find ways to make the impossible possible. There, there's a funny. Are you? I don't know. You're a fan of the Onion. Do you, do you remember yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah, they they once had a great headline, right? A fake headline that was like, um, "Guy who guy who claims to be devil's advocate really just an asshole." <laughs> or something yeah, like that. I, I kind of remember that one. Yeah, <laughs> classic. Yeah, it's usually the truth. I mean, anyone who says, "Let me play the devil's advocate," it's like, no, you're just gonna play the devil. Like, you're not, <laughs> you know. But you know, there's a need to fill to to find holes in things. I I understand that sometimes it makes our arguments stronger. But I like to look for ways to make things happen. Our account people are amazing. Like they'll come in and just find ways to make things, whether it's, you know, the budget or ways to think about things. And I think that's really refreshing for a creative is, you know, the, the ability to walk into something that might seem challenging, but be surrounded by people who are going to find ways to make it happen. Yeah. So, so if you, I mean, is that literally a thing that people will say in a meeting? Like, Hey, let me just play the angels advocate here for a second. Um, we never really said that way, but we do have a deck that we present to some of our clients, the new clients of like, but called buying the bold. And it takes like how to evaluate work and how to, you know, get to great work with us. And one of the principles is, you know, play the angel's advocate. And it's this idea that there's so many reasons to say no, saying no is easy. Saying hard sometimes is yes. I mean, saying yes is hard. And right. I think that some people need to kind of like, just shift the mindset a little bit and that having a handle like angel's advocate helps. I, I I love that. I can't wait to to use it. Um, what what was the name? Sorry, you you said it's a it's a document that you've created. What is it called? Uh, buying the bold, buying the bold. Got it. It's just just a, a thing to how what helps us with feedback and certain points and things we've learned about you know what it takes to actually do good work and and even through, help sell throughout the organization. Again, I just love that you that you guys have taken the time to to write this uh, to write this out. Um, I, this one, I, I, I think might be near and dear to your heart, but it's often the quiet ones ensure all voices are heard. What is, how does, how do you make that, you know, how do you make that a reality? And is that just kind of based on your experience coming up? Did, were you, did you ever feel like you were the quiet one that wasn't getting heard? Uh, no, I don't think so. People say that about me, but. You're I not think, that quiet. <laughs> I think they're probably surprised to be of that I do speak up and that I'm not actually that quiet, but maybe I am. Maybe it's just in my head. I've always said like inside I'm an extrovert. Yeah. But, <laughs> inside but not you're maybe. an extrovert. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what goes on my head doesn't always come out. But I, I, I think that there, in advertising, there's a lot of um, attention put on showy people and people that can present well and are big personalities. But if you just take time and make a focus to listen to the ones that aren't speaking or the ones that just have great thoughts, you'll get some really valuable stuff. And you just got to you got to give them their 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 fair share, too, because it's you know, like we have some really funny, great personalities in this industry. It's easy to become overshadowed and feel intimidated if you're not quiet, but doesn't mean you're you're not brilliant. Yeah. And so are there ways that you that you build into let's say your ideation sessions or into the way that you do creative where you make room or you have certain uh, 
for lack of a better word, channels for, for the quiet ones to get ideas to you? Because I think that that can be an issue at, at certain places where there's not really a mechanism for a quiet person to get ideas to, you know. I think it's more of an atmosphere than anything of just like listening, trying to listen to people and hoping hoping people can speak up, you know, when when they need to and feel like we will listen to them. It's not, we're not just, you know, sort of berating people and trying to push our opinions through there's meeting dynamics in in any agency in any any meeting but we try to just make it as easy for people to express themselves as possible again it comes back to that mantra of what would you do if you're not afraid it's like taking fear out of the room and that makes it sometimes easier for people to to speak up and some people just express themselves differently maybe they'll send you a email maybe it's a text right maybe it's yeah just through the work but yeah just try to you know, work with everyone, however they best communicate. And I, I do come, I guess you would say, yeah, I do come from more from the, the quiet side than the brash side. So I, I have a, a bit of understanding of what that's like. Yeah, that's cool. And that's something that I, that I work on sort of in the opposite way where I try to be mindful because I love to talk, right? Obviously this is why I do the podcast. <laughs> and oftentimes, as you know, right, you're, you're in a session. Sometimes it's hard to get people to talk, right? And yeah. so sometimes I feel like I need to fill that that void, right? So I often try to just like tell myself, okay, just maybe don't talk here. Maybe maybe you know sit in the awkward silence for a little bit and let somebody somebody else um, you know chime in. But yes, yeah. everybody everybody works differently, man. That, like so funny. I saw this interview with Elon Musk. I don't know if you saw it, but you know he's he's kind of his own thing anyway. But someone asked him a question. And it was literally 30 seconds, I think, of silence before he answered the question, <laughs> just sitting there. I don't know if that was a power game or what. Or you could tell he was really thinking about the answer. And uh, to be honest with you, I don't think the answer was even that great. But it was like the weirdest, most interesting interview I've seen because nobody said anything for like 30 seconds. Yeah. And, and they that's just a, let it hang. Yeah, that's a thing that's a, that, that I learned about, right? It's called like the the the... I can't remember what it's called, golden silent. I don't know. And it and it can be used as sort of a way to like I might do that to like I might do that to you, right? To try to get because typically if you wait long enough, somebody will say something, right? That yeah. that they maybe yeah. they weren't Oh, it's one hundred percent a trap. I know what yeah. you <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um but you know what that now you bring up Elon Musk, I saw a really sort of strange one a couple of days ago where he seemed really like subdued and 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 almost like um, I don't know if the word was scared, but he just seemed like really different. And he was talking about, he was talking about AI and then he oh, just God. kind of like, he just got he... kind of really weird about it and, and, and basically said like that maybe he was sort of delusional about, you know, how it's all going to end up or something oh, like that. God. But I, I found it really interesting because he, well, that... he, was a, he looked like maybe it was the same interview. Maybe, maybe. He, he, it, it's very worrying, though, if he's afraid, you know, because he knows stuff we don't, right? He's yeah. seen the inside, and he's also, say what you will about his persona right now, but he is one that can see in the future. Yeah. So, uh, you know, pay attention. Well, good, uh, good, a good segue there. What, what does the future, and, you know, we don't have to spend too much time talking about AI because I know a lot of people are talking about it, but just in yeah. general, what do you see as the future of our of our business what are what are the things that we should be excited about what are the things that we should be concerned about anything that you're kind of mulling around i think the, the need for creativity is going to just grow 
I think there's going to be a lot of mediocre content out there for the for the time being if people rely on on uh, AI to do it. I think right now we're enamored by the fact it can do it versus how well it's doing or how interestingly it's doing it. So there's going to be a little bit of a lag time. I think sooner or later, you know, it's moving at a pace that we can't really predict. That's That might change. But for right now, what gets me excited is that there's clients that are willing and understanding that they have to they have to break through. You know, our attention span, our, you know, and in, in what we're being pulled into is just... Yeah, it's it's unprecedented. We've never had so many channels of communication, many things pulling for our attention. So you really have to break through and, and come up with ways that reach people. Yeah, I think that's exciting. I like that, and I like the clients understand that because gives us you know room to play. Are you a uh, are you a fan of uh, Rick Rubin? And have you read his mm-hmm. his latest book? Yeah, Did amazing. Read- it is right. Yeah, every every chapter is like God. Oh, you learn something. I, I highly recommend anybody to either read it or listen to the audiobook because his voice reading it is actually a nice way to experience it. Yeah, I did. I kind of I got the audiobook and then I would read along to try to really absorb as much as yeah, that's, that's, as possible. That's a pure way to do it. One one yeah. thing that he talks about, and I don't know if he talked about it specifically in the book, but he, you know, people have asked him like, well, what makes you what makes you who you are? What makes you so special? And he, and he said something that was re- – he phrased it really – you could tell that he's had this answer. But he phrased it in a way where he said, you know, people believe that I that there's something special about my taste. Or he said yeah. something about taste. Yeah. Right? Because at the end of the day, if, if AI continues to go the, the way that it is, there still needs to be a person, a human, that is making a selection based on yes. Im- impeccable – taste right so how do you how does one cultivate better taste in your opinion gosh i don't know i guess if there's a formula everybody would have it but taste is so individual it's so specific that's why it can't be replaced by ai because your taste is only specific to you that's what you're getting paid for you know that's why you are where you are it's like someone trusts your taste and you know that's the system of advertising is you have to grow into that no one's going to trust you your first day because you don't have the experience. You don't have the the knowledge or just the exposure to to develop that taste. But I think as you grow, it just continues to, to develop. Yeah. You, know, you bringing that up reminds me of another piece of uh, content I saw, which was, did you ever see the movie um, September issue about Anna Wintour? No, no. It's a, it's a movie that it was a documentary that came out of, five or six years ago. And it was Anna Wintour kind of going through the process of making the September Vogue issue. And it was kind of brilliant because there's a scene in which she was surrounded by all these photographs, surrounded by these tastemakers and creatives. She walked in the room, everyone's silent. It's like the ballsiest creative director move. She went, that one, that one, that one, that one. Not that one, that one. That one goes here. She knew exactly what the hell she wanted. It was so intuitive. Whether she would actually believe that or not, or she just put this air on that instilled the confidence, you understood what, what Anna went to her made it, you know, what made her, her and why she was getting the the bucks she was getting at that, at that position, because uh, she had definitive taste and that was cultivated through years of doing this and understanding the world. And that, you know, it's, it'd be very hard for AI to replace that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that, that gives me uh, that gives me hope. And, and heartens that there always be, you know, a need for people that have, that can kind of, you know, 
use use their taste and their understanding of the world yeah. to say this this has a better chance of working this is really mm -hmm. great maybe this could be if you tweak that or whatever but i, I hope that yeah. they're still a human being it's everything you do it's life experience informs your taste so if you have never been alive i don't think you'll have great taste yeah you'll be able to make some sort of analog analytical judgment but i don't think you'll have any sense of what's unstated or what's yeah. out in the atmosphere so speaking of of life experience is a good a, a good place to to close here. If, if you had to say something, right? A lot of the um, people that listen to my show are up and coming creatives. Um, what would you tell them if you had one message to impart on them based on your experience? Uh, what would it What would it be? Yeah, so I've been asked this on other podcasts and given a similar answer, but I do think it is just enjoy the process, enjoy the ride. Because there's a lot of this business that is focused on getting some sort of approval from somebody else, whether it's your client, your creative director, your um, award show judge, and then you're you're sort of delaying your happiness and putting it in their hands. Just enjoy what you do. Be into the process. Be good at everything you do, and that will take you to the next step. If you're too focused on on other things, then I think you lose you lose the moment. So you know, I just say enjoy enjoy the process for what it is. There, there's a line I read, I've quoted it before, but it, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. It's just that the person who loves walking will go further than the one who loves the destination. So I think wow. that's a good way to, a good way to approach this career. And, and this is something that, uh, that I struggle with, right? Is, and when I remember, I call myself on it and I, and I try to remind my team about it, which is we have to, we have to be excited about the fact that we get to come up with ideas yeah. for a living and whether the idea ever sees the light of day or not, we have to be excited about that. But I think just as probably as humans and, and creatives, we get a lot of satisfaction and, and kind of, you know, what I call creative capital when your idea does come to life. Right. But I mean, think about how many ideas we come up with and how few of them actually ever get made. So you have yeah. to really enjoy. It is. It is. is it it's a game of that, you know, attrition. You kind of have to be able to survive that the system of like coming up with one more good idea than they've killed. That's the game, right? Yeah. So, you know, I used to say at some of the other places, like be good one more time than they're being bad. And then you win. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. This is the, you're like, you're like giving me a bunch of gold nuggets that are going to make the, uh, <laughs> that are going to make the, uh, the cut downs. Well, uh, I want to be mindful of your time. Greg, this has certainly been, you know, a, a highlight of, of the podcast. As, as I mentioned to you, you're, you know, I wanted to save you for the 50th episode. Um, and uh, I'm so glad oh, nice. that you did it. And I really appreciate you taking the time and just just really thankful for your generosity and, and just being so open and so kind and and willing to, you know, share your experience and, and um, you know, just uh, your, your wisdom. And I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's a great conversation, and I appreciate you asking me to be on your 50th episode. That, that means a lot. You know, I know 50 is a big number to reach in this game, so congratulations on that. You're pretty good at this, so I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll see you at the 100. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you on the, on the 100, and we'll see, we're, we'll see where we are at that time. Uh, but uh, thanks, and I look, I look forward to keeping in touch and just kind of, you know, uh, touching base from time to time. And I just, um, I'm so excited about what the future holds for you, and I'm excited to see the next big thing that you do. 
For sure. Mischief LA. I'll meet you there. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll meet you there. And next time you're in town, I hope we can get together. We'll, I'll bring some guitars. You don't have to travel with your guitars. I'll bring some amps and uh, maybe we can sit and have a, a little jam session somewhere. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. And there you have it, folks. The 50th episode of Confessions of a Creative Director in the books. Thanks to my very, very, very special guest, Greg Hahn. Thank you for being here on this uh, special occasion. I'm so excited. I made it to 50 episodes. I think it's quite a milestone. Hopefully uh, you do too. Thank you to all the listeners who tune in regularly. And thanks especially to those of you who have subscribed to the podcast. I hope more of you will subscribe. Hey, folks, this is really a masterclass for creative directors from some of the best creative directors in the world. I mean, Greg Hahn, uh, you're hearing directly from him on what uh, it takes to create a killer agency. So that's the kind of stuff you can't find anywhere. So please subscribe to the podcast. Tell all your creative friends about it. Let's grow this thing uh, and make it into uh, a big, a big deal, a big juggernaut. Uh, that would be really awesome. Um, also, if you're interested, check out my website, JaimeCabreraCreative.com. There you can find a link to my book, What's the Big Idea? An Indispensable Guide uh, to Becoming a Kick-Ass Creative Director. You can also learn about my one-on-one -on -one coaching. You can find links to the podcast. You can find links to my music. Uh, it's really the one-stop shop for everything that I'm doing to help the next generation of creative directors become kick-ass creative directors. So... Until next time, peace, love, and creativity. 50th episode, 50 episodes. It's awesome. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.